Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. So many of you may already know this about me, or maybe you don't, but I am a total systems geek in a lot of ways. In our house and in my business, we regularly optimize processes and get super geeky about organization, both about our family and our work life. And I love geeking out about tools and systems and gadgets. So today we have somebody with a truly nerdy brain who is joining us. She is the founder of Family Academy, and she started her business with this question, how do we integrate more business-minded systems into our family life? For example, they have a working operations manual. I kid you not. They have an operations manual for their home, and it's a manual they give to their babysitters, for which they have eight different babysitters on rotation, uh, or friends or whoever. Renee Warren is the founder of Family Academy, and she also has two little ones, Irish twins. And over the course of two years, she had two babies, launched two separate businesses, and also moved twice, something she said was kind of crazy, but also doable. But she also says it was a pretty big learning curve, and there was a lot that she she didn't see coming, she didn't know was going to happen. Coming out of it, she didn't love the way that her family life looked, so she and her husband started systematizing their family life and implementing processes to help them be happier and live better. Over the course of the next six years, they started implementing these processes and testing them and finding out what really worked. And so she started sharing these tools and these processes with friends, like her operations manual and their quarterly meetings and their weekly meetings. And her friends, of course, told her, oh, my gosh, have you shared this? You have to share this. You have to write a book about it. And so Family Academy was born. So I'm so excited to welcome her to the show and get really geeky with her about everything that they've built. And you'll hear my geeky side come out, too, a lot on this episode. So here we go. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Life can be really unpredictable, especially when you're getting ready to add a baby to your life. The sponsor of this episode, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, is dedicated to making the hassle of getting your breast pump a little bit easier. Actually, a lot easier. Head to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup to have them help you qualify for a free breast pump through insurance. And stick around because at the end of this episode, I'll walk you through how it works and tell you a little bit more of how Aeroflow Breast Pumps can save you so much time time. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. I'm so excited. I have Renee Warren on the line today. Renee, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I have so many questions for you. You're such a perfect fit for this show. But first, before we dive into all things parenting and all things entrepreneurship, I love asking people to tell me what time they woke up this morning, today, and what did you do this morning? What was your day like today? So I really have no choice in this matter. It used to be because my kids would wake me up and we would call them our little human alarm clocks. But my husband for the last year has been on this early morning kick. So he's up at 5 a.m. 
And five could be he's going for a run or he's meditating in the sunroom or reading, but I just get up with him. There's no sense in trying to go back to bed for half an hour to an hour. And so I usually just lie there. I'll do morning journaling and, or I'll check my phone, which I know is a big faux pas, but for me, it's just comforting knowing um, if there's any fires that I have to put out before work starts, but really kind of looking at my calendar for the day. But between five and five thirty is usually when I'm up. We're living parallel lives right now because my husband's doing the same thing. <laughs> and I'm always like, do I try to sleep until 630 or right. should I just go with it? That's really funny. <laughs> and you, just, you just wake up. You're like, fine, I'm up. I'll, I, I'll do exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, well, because of you, I'll get up. Maybe I'll do a little bit more today. I feel like a sense of accomplishment when I'm actually up and doing stuff, but I'm really not that productive first thing in the morning. I need a couple minutes to actually wake up. And so there's no point in me jumping into doing any heavy lifting. Like sometimes my husband will sit down and just start writing out emails, like huge email sequences. I'm like, how do you even do that? <laughs> yeah. So it, it's interesting. I just kind of slowly get up. Is it an alarm clock that wakes you up or is it just him waking up that wakes you up? His alarm clock. And then I kick him five times because he can't hear it. Um, <laughs> and then he gets up. <laughs> <laughs> the worst though, and this, it doesn't happen very often though. This happened yesterday morning. His alarm clock went off and it woke me up. So I'm like kicking him and he, he shut it off. And then he rolls over and he goes back to bed for an hour. And <laughs> I, I, I'm wide awake at this point. And so after he gets up, I'm like, why would you do that? He goes, oh, I just needed a little extra sleep this morning. I'm like, that's just, that's not fair. <laughs> I could have used that extra sleep too. That's so funny. We're switching Alex, my partner, to a Fitbit, one of those mm -hmm. trackable wearables, because they have silent alarms that buzz on your wrist. Because I was like, I don't want to wake up. You wake up. <laughs> you know what? It would probably still wake me up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a light sleeper. <laughs> me too. Me too. I think it's like a pipe dream, but you know, you try anything just to get that extra hour of sleep as a parent. Okay. Well, let me know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of parenting, you had two babies and you did two moves and you launched two businesses all in, I think, two years. So can we start with your parenting journey? Tell us about your kids and mm -hmm. how old they are and go for it. Tell us all about your parenting journey. Yeah. So I have two boys, Max and Noah. They are 11 months apart. Max is five and a half and Noah is four and a half years old. So my oldest was not a surprise, but he was also not unplanned. When we found out I was pregnant with him, it was quite a joy. And at the point, we were moving from San Francisco back to Canada. So we literally showed up in this house that we just finished building with two suitcases. And I was like, I don't know, at this point, maybe six months pregnant. So there's a lot going on. And then we welcomed Max into our lives. And a month prior to having Max, I actually launched an agency, co-founded it. We had clients from South Africa to San Diego at this point, quickly grew to four employees and then 10 employees. So I had a newborn, a new business, a new house. Max was about four months old when I found out that I was pregnant with Noah. And I did not know this was possible. <laughs> so for me with Max, I was actually going through, and I didn't know this at the time, but I was having postpartum depression. And so I wasn't eating because I was depressed and I was busy working. I was having problems with the breastfeeding and all of these things were happening. And so when I found out that I was pregnant with Noah, I resented the pregnancy and it embarrassed me. And I felt ashamed to even think that I didn't even want this baby because I had friends very close to me that had been trying to have kids for years and they couldn't. And so I didn't want to tell anybody this was happening. 
So business was doing really, really well. We we're doing some incredible work in this agency. So we we're doing PR for technology startups. And then one day I was at this janky, janky ass coffee shop across the street from our office. And it's one of those coffee shops where you have to ask the person on the other side of the counter for the key to the bathroom that they attach to a large wooden spoon so that you don't steal the key to the bathroom. <laughs> because I thought that I had peed my pants. And as any pregnant woman knows, these things happen. Luckily for me, I thought that I had made it on time. So I'm paying for my coffee and I'm asking for this key because at this point, I'm like, I'm actually actively peeing my pants right now. <laughs> Just had a baby and now I'm pregnant. So I'm like, this has to be the scenario. I go to the bathroom and when I actually go to go pee, I realized that it was just a lot of blood. So there was just blood everywhere. And I thought I was miscarrying. And so for me, I was like, wow, this is actually exciting because I didn't think that I wanted this baby anyway, but I'm not allowed to feel that way because I'm supposed to want this baby. So I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I'm super vulnerable. Then I'm like, maybe I'm not miscarrying and there's something else that's wrong. So long and short of it, spent the day in the hospital and it just turns out that I had a hematoma, which is a gigantic blood clot. And it was at the point that if the blood clot didn't go, then I would have miscarried. And so ended up having a near perfect pregnancy after that. And we welcomed Noah into our lives a few months later. But that was the drama that was happening for the first year and a half of my agency's life. And in that time, I was in between all of those incidents, I was jumping on planes to go and meet clients across the country and across North America and speaking at events and doing all those things. And at the end of it, I was just depleted. I was depressed. I had a terrible relationship with my husband. I wasn't connected to my kids. And I said, this is not the life that I signed up for. I love my business. I love my team. My family life is struggling. I need to reprioritize things. And that's when we just started implementing systems to our family life. We applied business-like philosophies to our home life. And that changed everything. I want to dig in and ask you questions about this because I'm so curious. What was the impetus to start the agency when you were eight months pregnant? Like, Take us into the thinking around the desire and all of the thinking behind starting that agency. Yeah. So before that, I was doing a lot of just consulting work. So one-on-one -on -one work with startups in the Valley. And I was partnering with a lady named Heather, uh, who ended up being my co-founder of the agency. And she was doing a lot of the PR work. I was doing a lot of the content and social work and online ads for these startups. And it just got to the point when we were pretty much working together full-time on these projects. I just said to her, it was like a business proposal. I said, hey, did you want to go into business with me? And she goes, well, you're eight months pregnant. I was like, I know this could be a lot of fun. This is awesome. Just both of her and I thinking having a baby cannot be that hard. <laughs> if we can run a business, we can have a baby. And well, we learned our lesson. But we came up with these schedules and processes that we thought would work with you know, having a baby and launching this business. So we had contractors at the time that were still working with us through other work eventually came on board as employees in the new agency and a lot of help. We just didn't think it was going to be that difficult, but we failed to understand and appreciate what could happen to the mom after the baby's born. So for me, it was the postpartum depression. It was the anxiety, the stress, the sleepless nights, all these things compounding to make me a 
fairly unproductive and not nice person to be around. Yeah. So now I'm so curious, did you get to take any form of rest or leave? Like, did you think or consider about maternity leave? Did you work all the way through it? What was that like? So I took five weeks off. And when Max was just about five or six weeks old, he went to daycare full time. And the only reason why that was easy for us was because my sister-in-law was the one who took him. And it was easy because in the evenings I could pump and give enough milk for her for the day. And she was totally fine with it because she was my sister-in-law and we managed for a few months. Then the whole depression and not eating meant I had no milk supply. So the breastfeeding was, the idea of it was killed by both my husband and I. So that was a whole emotional, dramatic event when you decide that you no longer want to breastfeed. And a lot of that time in my life now, when I reflect back on it, was kind of a blur. Like there's there's big chunks of time that I don't even remember. I'll have to look back at pictures to even recall what my child looked like when they were nine months old. How do you think about that? How do you feel about that now looking back? So I never thought that I would ever feel any sort of regrets. It wasn't up until the last couple years when I've actually started to just build a completely deep connection with my children and my husband and now seeing who they are and they're also growing into their personalities that there's a lot of it that I feel ashamed of. I regret not having that bond with Max when he was first born and I regret not breastfeeding them a little bit longer and those things I can't take back and you know in hindsight I should have just stepped into that role a little bit more of being a new mom and not really resting who I am and my identity on just being a successful business owner. I think, especially for women too, it's like, what role do we really own? What is our identity connected to? And we have these big businesses or these successful businesses, or even if we're just starting out and then all of a sudden there's this baby that's introduced. It's like, who are we? <laughs> We have to wear all these masks and these hats and there's pressure from so many people to just do things the right way. But what is the right way? Men would look at me at a different level of respect because, wow, here's a woman who actually can leave her kids and go to work. Wow, she gets you know an extra gold star in my books. And then the woman would think, wow, I can't believe she's leaving her kid at daycare when he's only five weeks old. And the conversations I've had to have with some women because of it were just, some of them were terrible. Like I actually had somebody very openly unfriend me because I stopped breastfeeding my son so early because it didn't go according to her beliefs in parenting. So she didn't want to be surrounded by that. It was just at a crazy time. And if there's any tip I could give any sort of you know, working mom or mom that's starting her own startup or already successfully running a startup and expecting their first is just slow down Take the time to be with your baby and learn about him or her and really get connected and, you know, integrate obviously your family life into your business life. That's a, a big thing that I actually advocate, but it's okay to take that time off because you're also setting a great example for your team too. They want to know that you're not stressed and you're relaxed as much as possible. So, yeah. It's such a hard one in so many ways because there are so many moms for whom they want to slow down or take rest. And then also they're just like you, primary business owners, or they're launching something or their family relies on them for income and they can't take mm -hmm. the time away in order to make money. And it's such a hard and complicated question. And mm -hmm. it 
differs for so many people. But thank you for being candid about looking back and saying, oh, well, now that I know, right? Like now mm -hmm. that I've had an experience, there are a few things I would have done differently. I mean, I have that experience all the time. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, now that I've been through it, yeah, I would change a few <laughs> things or more than a yeah. few things. But how do we know? Like, or how do you think that like, you wish you would have been better prepared for motherhood? What do you wish someone would have told you, like looking back, if you could go back in time to that past self of yours? I feel like I got all the right advice. I read the books, I listened to the audiobooks, I listened to the podcasts, I spoke to other women that were in my position years before me. I felt like I got all the right information. It's just, you don't really know what it's like until you're actually living it. And it's just like starting your first business. You have no clue what it's going to be like until you're actually doing it. People say, oh, you don't know what it's like to be a parent until you're a parent. It's like, it's true. You don't. And with women, the whole like physical idea of growing a baby inside of you and all these hormones, and all these things that happen to your body, it's so emotional. You can't understand what it's like to have that until you have a baby. Now with Max, my first, I didn't have that bond. I didn't have that instant bond. And it's only slowly starting now when he's almost six years old. <laughs> now when Noah was born only 11 months later, it was a totally different experience. I knew a little bit more about what I could go through, the expectations of what it's like to be a parent now. And with him, it was a lot easier and very different experience. It was awesome, actually. It was I don't know, invigorating. I felt like I could do this and I could run my business and I felt connected to him and breastfeeding was easy and it was a different experience. Isn't that so interesting? Each kid can bring out such a different experience. Did you take leave with your second child? What was that like? It was similar. Noah went to daycare when he was about five or six weeks old as well. Now, in this time, I wasn't working like nine to five. I would show up at 10 and I would leave at three. There was more time with me with the kids at home. But after they'd go to sleep or during nap time, I was always working. So the leave was the first five weeks I was working from home when I felt like it, but there was no pressure to me to show up to meetings or like team standups or anything. But after that, like as soon as I leaned into me being back to work, it was full on. It was relatively easier with, with Noah, though. Again, my sister-in-law was running the daycare, so we were very fortunate. The way that the system was set up for us is they were out of the house during the day, not very far away. And if I wasn't feeling well, and like you know, there's days you just don't want to leave the house, <laughs> I would just work from home and just connect with the team on Slack, and everything was great. The whole like thing that made it work for my company was being so open and honest with my team. I said, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I feel is going to be good for me. And so this is how I want to show up for you guys. And just setting those expectations. And I said, look, you know, in the event any of you have kids, or if you want to take your children to a recital at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, you guys can do it. It's being the example that you want to be as a leader for your team. And so when it came to that part of running my company, it was easy because I had a great team. They loved the fact that I wasn't always around and that I was actually, you know, leaning into my family when I could. It was hard. There was a lot of executive decisions the team had to make and there were some mistakes that happened. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was, we were all in it together, really. What did the team look like? Like, tell us about what that company and that business looked like. In those first couple of years, we had about eight employees in our office here on the East Coast of Canada 
And we had a couple remote employees and then a lot of contractors. And all of our clients were all remote. So really, we were a remote team, but with a cute, fun office at headquarters. <laughs> and like some of these people, they had their kids too and their own challenges. But for the most part, it was all done online. And so I could work from home or I could work from wherever. Oh, interesting. How long did it take you to get up to that size team from the day you wanted to start until through the, your two babies? In the first year. We surpassed our goals in the first year. I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> think about that. My first year of business, I had two babies. <sighs> and so, again, that was like a black, black memory in my life. I don't even know. I, I, you know what? If I went under deep hypnosis, I'm sure that somebody could help me recollect that year of my life. But I don't even know. <laughs> Were you getting any sleep at all? Yeah, eventually. So with baby number two... We heard of this thing called the night nanny. And I was like, you know what? I will pay millions to have somebody come and just help me get a good night's sleep. This point, Max was about a year old. But when we found out that I was pregnant with Noah, we're like jumped right on the sleep training bandwagon with Max. I was like, I don't know what we need to do, but this kid needs to sleep through the night because we have a newborn coming. And we tried, oh gosh, the Ferber method. And that's like the cried out method. And I couldn't handle it. I actually had to leave the house every night for 45 minutes while my husband managed it. Once he was asleep, he was fine. But so we got this night nanny after Noah was born and she would come on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And what she did was I was still breastfeeding. So she would take the bassinet into the spare room and would wake up and bring him to me when he woke up. And all I did was feed him. So I was up for maybe 10 minutes a night and that was it. She would comfort him and put him back to bed. And those two nights, we were guaranteed a solid night's sleep. And that helped immensely. So the night nanny was a thing. The time we were like, fortunate enough that we were able to afford it. But I've heard of families since we started talking about getting a night nanny. They've just had relatives come and help them out through those first couple of months. Sleep is no joke. Like mm -hmm. this, <laughs> Sleep is so hard. I mean, talking to so many parents about this, sleep is a really hard and challenging thing. I love that you talk about a night nanny. I know mm -hmm. one other woman who had twins. She's like, nope, not going to happen. I need help. And I was like, good <laughs> yeah. on you. Yeah. So then you started a second company because I know you run Family Academy right now. When did that come into play and how did that shift? Full-time Family Academy has only been the last year, but the shift towards that happened after Noah was born. So I'm like, how do we make our family life better? Because I felt disengaged from my husband. I was not healthy. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't working out. Didn't feel connected to my kids. Everything felt like a nuisance and everything was a chore. And I was like, I know I should not be thinking about my life this way. And so that's when we started applying spreadsheets and Gantt charts and schedules and weekly meetings and quarterly retreats, treating our family like a business. And then I was at this event called summit series where they had this boat they call it summit at sea and there was like 3,000 entrepreneurs on this boat and I wanted to test my idea for a book a book title so this time I was running my agency it was called onboardly at the time and I was like oh man I want to write this like ultimate primer on family operations like the family operations manual and people loved the idea now the book never came about but what did come about was a new business 
And so I started interviewing entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneur families, entrepreneur couples to really understand what it was their biggest pain point to see if my hypothesis of my business would work. So I was doing that overlapping my onboardly, my old agency. And eventually that company just no longer aligned with my mission, my purpose. So I actually closed down the agency over a year ago. My director of PR, Crystal, absorbed the clients and started her own company and is thriving now. And I went full force in this family academy. It's just so in line with what I know I need to do is help entrepreneur families gain more freedom in their lives. And I teach them how to have a better relationship with their husbands and their kids and how to apply business-like philosophies to their family life so that they can have that time freedom. I think that's so interesting because at Startup Pregnant, like two of our big theories and questions are about how do we gain inspiration in business from our parenting journeys and vice versa? How do we gain inspiration mm-hmm. in our parenting journeys from business, which is exactly what you're doing? I'm curious if you can share about like, what was the conversation like about leaving the business and transitioning to someone else? I feel like that can be a hard conversation to have. How did you do it? So I I can't remember who said it, but somebody said that for the big ideas that you actually execute on, you've started thinking about it two years prior. Dan and I would travel, my husband and I would travel a lot for just events, like conferences, events together. And everyone always asked, who's watching the kids? Who's watching the kids? And I would tell them like how we have these systems in place that we can have our roster of eight babysitters help watch the kids for like two weeks at a time when we're on the road. And they're like, what about lunches? What about this? And I was like, oh, it's all in the operations manual. They're like, what? I said, our family operations manual. I love that. Family operations. Yeah. Honestly, if anything were to happen to me or my husband, all the information is there. It's gone to the point now when it's so detailed, my husband will be like, hey, what's the name of our chiropractor? I'm like, it's in the manual. Everything's there. So if I ever need a replacement husband, he can just fill in where <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's just been, people are organized in their own way. But when it comes to family life, do it so traditionally that it's not keeping up to the times. And when people think, I need an operations manual for my family, it's like, absolutely, you do. You do. So all of these things started to kind of, unfold and I started writing about it and I started talking to more people about like operations manuals and like every week my husband and I meet for 30 minutes Fridays at 1130 and we go through our we call it our Martel clan meeting and we talk about the same five things about our big wins for the week our role rating as a husband and a wife our travel schedule our finances like what couple talks about their finances together every single week Most people do it when it's tax season and they're scrambling to get everything organized for their accountant or to do it themselves. But by then it's too late. So we talk about every single week, what money's coming in, where money is going, what do we need money for, like any cool investments, anything related to the operations of and the financing of our family we talk about. And then we talk about issues and our to-do list. So all these things slowly started building up and people were like, oh, that's a cool idea. And they started implementing it. And they're like, Renee, Renee, I think this would be a great book or this should be a business, Renee. I was like, okay, wow. I feel like I've had enough customer validation to realize that there's enough need for what we're doing that I need to dive into this 100%. So when I made that switch, I went from being an agency owner that was 
making a decent amount of money running an awesome agency with cool clients and cool people to a completely different industry and feeling so much more purpose-driven. It feels so good. And so I knew the transition was super emotional, but it did take two years. (laughs) Just from understanding that there's this next thing that's not running an agency to where I am today. I do have to ask, you said there's a role rating? Uh Uh-huh. What's that? (laughs) It's like the net promoter score of being a wife. (laughs) 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 And it works. But ours isn't as complex as that. We just say, you know, out of 10, how was I as a wife to you? Or how was I as a husband to you? It's your own rating. Like, I mean, we've been together for eight or nine years now. We understand each other's quirks. But the whole idea is, you know, you get a rating and it's, I'm just going to say that I got a 10 out of 10, two weeks in a row. So yes, that is awesome. But it also took five years to figure out how to get that score we score each other out of 10. And for the weeks where you get a terrible score, we talk about why we felt that way. And it's not about being harsh or incriminating or anything. It's just like, I didn't agree with the way you disciplined Max. And here's how I think you should have done it. Or I don't like the way that you put the dishes in the dishwasher. So you lost half a point. (laughs) But it allows you to actually just like compound improvement in your family life and in being a wicked awesome husband or wife. One of my four big goals for this quarter is to get a consistent nine and a half out of 10 rating with my husband. That includes like landing four new clients and getting 30 people at my next live event and achieving three pull-ups in a row. But one of them is getting a consistent awesome rating from my husband every week. And it's a lot of work. But at the end of the day, it's like, wow, we're each other's champions. I support him. He supports me. We parent so much better together. The kids have changed. Holy. Their energy has shifted. They listen. When mom and dad are good, everything else gets incrementally better. I have to dive into this. I love this and I'm so fascinated. Now, do you get a rating as well? Like, is it just Mm -hmm. peer to peer or do the kids rate? Do you also rate yourself? It's just one data point. Yeah, it's just between husband, wife, partners. Yeah. Um, and then the kid, my kids are a little bit too young to really kind of comprehend right now because I feel like I would get a pretty good score. I know how to achieve a 10 out of 10 with my sons, give them chocolate. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good idea. I think when they're old enough, they should get in on that. And then is there a rubric? Like, are there categories that you know in advance that you're being rated on? Or like, what is it more subjective? It's subjective, but... Okay. Talking about categories is the other thing too. So our quarterly retreats, we do obviously one every quarter. So for a year, our big one is in December and we take that time to plan the next year. So that includes big travel events, conferences, like all the big things that you kind of need to plan around. And we come up with a theme word for the year. And so everything we do as a family is centered around that particular theme word. So last year it was education. This year is adventure. And we come up with our five words for our family values. And so for the year, everything we do as we rate our family, because we do rate the family on these five values. So we give a weekly score out of 10 on these five values. So ours are growth, community, adventure, spirituality, and health. Everything we do in the week as a family has to work towards achieving like a good score on those values. Last week was the best score we've ever achieved. This week weren't as great. Where we weren't good was on community and spirituality. 
So what do we do as a family more towards community? And so community for us is how often are we hosting founders lunches and how often are we as a family going out and doing new activities or meeting new people? And so when we look at our values and we were kind of weak in some areas, we would stick to improving it for the next week. The drill down into how the precision of these systems and how geeky they are <laughs> is making me so happy. Listeners, yeah. I don't know if I confess this enough, but like we are such systems geeks in our house, but it's really interesting to like compare and contrast because I think we're more like physical tool systems, like the efficiency of actually how things work. My husband is a huge geek about everything having a home and there only being one place in the house for everything. And like, it's just wild to watch a fellow nerd geek out so hardcore about these specific systems. And I am definitely taking notes. For a week, because I think we need that. <laughs> <laughs> we could just, we, what is it? Wife swap? We can husband yes, swap. <laughs> husband swap. Oh God. I, yeah, no, I don't know if you could handle Dan for so long. You would get some really awesome business advice. <laughs> But like the physical systems thing, there's one trick that actually maybe it's part of the question you want to ask me later. So I'm not going to tell you now. We'll save that. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay, so tell us more about Family Academy and all of these systems. I know that you've got the weekly meeting every Friday and you've got the quarterly retreat. It sounds like you have an annual planning where you set up what the goals are for the year and what the theme word is and you have an operations manual. What other yeah. systems are you bringing in and what does that look like for Family Academy? So one of the big things, and, and I built this product, is a physical product that's currently being developed. Actually, I created it for my husband. And I'm not ashamed to say this. It's called the Be Present Box. And essentially what it is, it's a product to teach people how to be present. So it's a practice to eventually make it a habit. And in the box is a bracelet that says, be here now. It's the box is big enough to store your phone. So you put your phone in there, put your bracelet on. It comes with a pen and, and a notepad. But the whole idea is for us, we have a scheduled offline time between 5 and 6 p.m. every single day of the week. And that's when we have dinner together. And while it's disconnected sometimes, because we're on the east coast of Canada, so we're actually four hours ahead of the west coast. And so we both have clients on the West Coast. So, you know, 5 p.m. is still the afternoon. And so we both still have clients that are pinging us or emailing us or trying to call us. Well, I got good at putting my phone away. He didn't. And I just said to him, what do I have to do to actually get you off your phone? And for him, it was an addiction. It was a habit. And so I wasn't going to get mad at him, but I was going to work with him to actually create a solution. I'm like, let's just hide your phone. Let's put it in a box or something. But, you know, I also want the kids to know that this is the time you've dedicated to be with them. So, like, what's this thing that you can wear or say or do so that they understand that this is your dedicated offline time? So I got these bracelets made. And so he puts on the bracelet. And being present for him was being away from his phone. And there's no urgency to check it because he's committed to this hour. We have dinner together. And... You know, for anybody listening that has younger kids sitting at the table with toddlers and preschoolers is a very hard thing to do to keep them from walking away after five minutes or five bites. <laughs> so I created the Family Academy Conversation Deck, which is a deck, and it has 50 cards with different questions on each card. So we sit at the table, we put the cards in the middle, we eat our dinner, and we each ask each other rounds of questions. Like, what was the kindest thing you did today? Or... What happened today that made you sad or 
How do I show you that I love you? So just these things, conversations to kind of keep the family connected. The kids finish their meal. No one else is kind of feels the urgency to go check their phone. And we're just really present with each other. So that for me is one of the biggest, most profound things that we've developed as a family. That's so important and so wise. I think it can be hard to find those edges and those boundaries of like, when is it okay for things to like work and family to bleed into each other and to be overlapping? And then when is my rigid area of like not letting these two impede on each other? And I mean, I'll confess, I am the one with a phone addiction in our household. (laughs) And we've done something similar five to seven at night. My husband's pretty adamant about it getting me off my phone. Although sometimes I sneak it out just so I can take photos, but he's like, come on. (laughs) 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 But it makes it clearer for me that if I do make an appointment or a meeting, like I do a late interview or like I want to take a call that I actually leave the living room. I go into the office, which is, you know, slash bedroom. It's all in one place. We live in New York City. I shut the door and it's like, I'm in business mode. I'm not trying to do it all at once because otherwise I'm just lying to myself and I'm actually on Facebook or whatever. And that's not helpful. Right. No, I know. It's those notifications that are the addiction that's helped us. And the thing about these cards is, I mean, they've done so much research about having family dinners together. And it's actually part of one of my talks, just like University of Michigan did this intensive research on a hundred families between 1981 and 1997. And they discovered that the amount of time that children spent eating meals at home was the single biggest predictor of better academic achievement and fewer behavioral problems. And they say that has to happen at least once a week. And I know there's more and more families that are having dinners and meals together. And it's not just like sitting down and eating and scorfing things down, just excusing yourself after five minutes. It's actually like we do is enjoying each other's company. And so if I can think, wow, that 30 minutes at the table every single day is going to help my kids achieve better academically and have fewer behavioral problems. That is the best investment I can make. Mm. And another study. Once a week? At least least once once a week. week. Okay. Yeah. And even once a week, they've proven has had such a dramatic effect on the children as well. But the average American only spends 36 minutes a day of uninterrupted one-on-one time with their family. 36 minutes. Oh, isn't that crazy? They're doing chores, they're doing homework. And they say that this is like uninterrupted one-on-one time. If you're sitting next to each other on your phone, that is not one-on-one time. Yeah. So they're saying 36 minutes and that's an average, which means that there's people that are doing far less than that. Yeah. And then this other study that says if you're spending more one-on-one time with your children eating meals together, that is going to contribute to a better academic achievement then what are we doing to ourselves? (laughs) Why are we filling our agenda full of stuff that is not going to move the needle for us in our businesses or in our family life? We're just busy being busy because we're so afraid of, you know, open time on our calendar. We're so afraid of boredom. Hmm. It's so hard. And I do really like the fact that it's at least once a week because I know that there are so many families where maybe the mom works late you know, during the week, or someone's a traveling person, and they're gone Monday through Thursday. So it's still possible for it to be done, even if you have one of those trickier schedules. Oh, but yeah, the uninterrupted time. I mean, that's true for adults, too, right? Like, mm -hmm. even taking 36 minutes to meditate sounds like this far fetched dream for me. I squeeze in minutes here and there. And then I have to ask myself, like, wait, what am I doing? Like, what is it that I think is more important? It's a hard one. Yeah. 
No, and and there's another study too that this one's fascinating. They actually studied men that were high performing career people. I want to say they were lawyers in New York and their relationships to their son. So that was very, very small niche, but they wanted to try to gauge the type of relationship that these people had. So the father, the son had based on quality versus quantity of time. It was a like a resound result. It didn't matter how often the dad was home with the son. It was how he showed up when he was there. So it could have been you know, 50 hours a week, but he was a grumpy man, which made a terrible relationship. Or it was two hours a week, but he was so into his son and so present and so fun and positive and energetic and helpful that when that son grew up, his memory of his father was how those tiny moments together and how magical they were. Mm. We put stress on ourselves and especially, especially as mothers, that we have to spend so much time with our kids. But if it's not quality time and if we're not practicing that quality time, then it's insignificant. I love hearing all of this. Okay, so <laughs> now I want to ask you about Family Academy and mm -hmm. where are you now today? What does your business look like and what's next? Like, what's mm -hmm. on the, the next year's agenda? Like, oh. Where do you want to go or where do you see yourself? So Family Academy now, I'm doing a lot of coaching with entrepreneur families and live events. In the fall, I'm actually launching a fairly extensive online program that I've started doing research on years ago. The future is a Family Academy Summit. So it's a big live event. We have entrepreneur families come in and it's a few days long. The first day is just geared towards the entrepreneurs and the second day is geared towards the family. So it's like family personal development, <laughs> you can say. And the reason why this I didn't name this company after me was because it's part of my legacy that I want this to be applicable to not just entrepreneur families, but to you know high-performing career people or career people. And understanding that there's these philosophies that exist in a family life. It's almost like it's a religion in and of itself. It's just a new way of approaching how to have a more decluttered and managed family life. And so the future of the Family Academy, for me, my mission is to serve a million entrepreneur families and helping them gain more freedom in their lives, but really inspiring women to actually not have to choose between starting a business and having a family. They can do both. So I want to ask you my favorite question as a last question, which is as a parent, there's so much pressure to do it all or to look like you're doing it all. But I think the truth is closer to we each do different things. So as a mom or as a business owner, are there things that you don't do? What do you leave mm -hmm. off your plate? What do you skip? So I wanted to be so non-obvious about this one because it's a hack that it's supposed to signify so much more. And it's very simple. So I have, which now I'm going to go out and buy more, but I have two lunch boxes for each one of my boys. And I pre-make two to three days worth of lunches and packed and ready to go. We can pull from the fridge to throw into their pack sack. And that just is kind of like the significance of how we plan our family life. It's like, how can we save 10 minutes here or 20 minutes there? Making lunches for me is like, I prep it in the evenings. I clean everything up. I don't have to do anything in the morning for three days. It's pretty awesome. That's so awesome. I love that. Some of these things take up so much time and they're so repetitive. Mm -hmm. And I love your kind of insight and perspective of 
how can we optimize this? Or what systems can I use? Can I borrow? Can I apply to make this work? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you can always save time. And and the thing about it is if you're gaining an extra 10, 20 minutes a day, because you're optimizing the things that you do, then you have that spare time to do something that I call life margins. So as we try to optimize our businesses for the best profit margins, we should be doing that for our personal life as well. And so a life margin for me is like an extra five pages of this book that I wanted to get through or going out for lunch with my husband or doing CrossFit at lunch. It's like we look at these things as stuff we can do, but we never really label it as some sort of reward. And if we're rewarding ourselves, just like, you know, business increases its profit margins and it increases its profits and it's a more profitable business, then why can't we do that with our family life? Life margin. That's such a great tool or way of understanding it. So where can people find out more about you? Tell us about your website and your social media handles. Where can they find you? So they can find Family Academy at familyacademy.co.co. I also have familyacademy.co on Instagram. And personally, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Renee underscore Warren. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. This is all the stuff that I love to talk about. And I have great resources on my website, great free guides and ebooks that can help you organize your first quarterly couples retreat and your weekly meeting. <laughs> I love it. I promised at the beginning of the episode to tell you a little bit more about the pumping journey and about how Aeroflow breast pumps works. They are the sponsor of this episode. So for all of you breastfeeding and pumping mamas, here is the info that you wanted. Aeroflow Breast Pumps makes the process of getting a breast pump covered through your insurance as easy as possible. They have dedicated and informed breast pump specialists to help you navigate insurance by taking care of the paperwork, the phone calls, and the prescription requests so that you can take it easy. They're available by phone, text, or email to answer any questions you have during this exciting time in your life. One of the trickiest things is the timing of everything. A lot of insurance plans only allow you to get a pump within 30 days of your due date. Let me tell you, figuring out when that baby is going to arrive and then getting everything done within these exact time frames can be really hard. They take care of everything, including contacting your physician for a prescription, recommending the best breast pump options for you and your lifestyle, billing and processing those insurance claims, and shipping the breast pump to your door free of charge. The entire process is totally free. So if you want to work with them to get your breast pump, go to aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash startup, and they will get you started right away. Thanks for being a sponsor of Working Pumping Mamas, Aeroflow Breast Pumps. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.